0: That's investher, H-E-R, con.com, promo code 100 best ever to get $100 off your ticket.
1: That will let you know, okay, well, right now, the occupancy is 95%, but 10% of the units have a notice to vacate. So in reality, once I take over this property in two months, the occupancy rate is going to be 15% and not 5%.
0: It's that time of year again, tax season, dun-dun-dun. How are you doing on tax season? How's that treating you so far? Well, if you have a lot of receipts and you're organizing things like your income and expenses and creating reports, and you're also trying to keep up to date with the new tax reform this year, there's a lot of deductions that we can take to maximize return, and there's a lot of strategies that we need to make sure we're aware of. Are you optimizing for the new tax laws? Well, our sponsor, Stessa, teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you the ultimate rental property tax guide. And I've read it. This is the ultimate rental property tax guide. I'm talking about, they've got everything covered from opportunity zones to entity selection, to establishing a home office, travel expenses, what type of travel expenses are deductible, real estate strategies, tax strategies, capital improvements versus repairs. I mean, This is the ultimate rental property tax guide, and you can get it for free by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. You have to sign up for an account, but the account is free. So when you sign up for a free stessa account, you will get this guide. This is worth its weight in gold for sure. Go to stessa.com, S T E S S -S A dot com forward slash best taxes, and when you work with stessa, Stessa is a tool that helps every rental property owner track, manage, and communicate the performance of our real estate investment. So it's going to save a lot of time during tax season, but then also through the rest of the season as we go and grow our rental portfolio and optimize that. So go to stessa.com forward slash best taxes, get that ultimate rental property tax guide. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode and for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to syndication.com or to learn more about the Apartment Syndication School, go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes.
1: Hi, Best Ever listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndication. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. As you know... Each week, we air two podcast episodes about a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for the majority of these episodes that make up larger series, we offer some sort of document spreadsheet or resource for you to download for free. All of these free documents, as well as the past and future Syndication School series, can be found at syndicationschool.com. This episode is going to be part two of what will likely be a six-part series, that is focused on breaking down the three different pieces of information, documents you need to obtain in order to underwrite the deal. In part one, and we're going to continue talking about it in part two, we are breaking down the rent roll. So in part one, we discussed what a rent roll is, which is essentially an account or a schedule of the rents. We also discussed how do you obtain the rent roll? Which is if it's an on market deal from the broker, if it's off market from the point person, it was either the owner or the management company. We explained why you need a rent roll, which is for one, underwriting, two, sending it to your investors for quarterly financials. And then we also began to go over the definitions of the various metrics that are on the rent roll. And we got through the first. Five, which was the unit, which is just the unit or letter designation for the unit. The unit type, which is basically the floor plan and the quality of the unit. Square footage, pretty straightforward, the size of the unit. Residence, the people living there. And then the different status, which could be occupancy or a unit or a lease status code for that unit. In part two, we're going to finish up the remaining 10 or so different metrics, We're going to talk about the different types of summarized data tables you might find on a rent roll. We're going to discuss how to use the actual data on the rent roll to underwrite. And then we're going to kind of go over a few other things to look out for when we are looking at analyzing a rent roll. So let's hop right into it by starting with the next metric on the rent roll, which is going to be the market rent. So on the rent roll, there's going to be a market rent and then some sort of current rent. And the difference between the two is that market rent is what the unit should be renting for and the amount of rent that the current owner is capable of receiving on that unit based off of basically rental comps. So how similar properties in the area are renting and then the rent, actual rent, current rent, however they describe it is going to be how much rent the current tenant is being charged by the landlord. So it's important to understand the differences between these two because when you are buying a property, you don't want to underwrite just using the market rent because that's not reality. That's not what the current owner is actually getting. What's more important is what they're actually getting compared to what that market rent should be. And that difference is something that's called loss to lease, which we'll go over in more detail in parts three and four when we talk about the t 12 We actually might get into it a little bit later on in this episode when we're discussing what information that you you need to underwrite, but essentially the loss of lease is the amount of money the current landlord is losing because his or her units are not rented at the rental amount that he could be demanding, and typically that number will only be anywhere between three to four percent, which is pretty common because if someone's signing a 12-month lease, Day zero, they're paying 800 bucks. If you assume that the rent's gonna naturally go up by 3% each year, then at the end of that loan term, it'll be under rented by 3% just because of that year passing by. Whereas other times, that difference might be a lot higher for some reason that you want to understand because you wanna know if it's something that is either the market's problem or if it's an operational problem that you can solve. And if there's a really high loss of the lease, that's definitely a time to add value because if all you need to do is just raise the rent, you don't really need to do any physical improvements to the property. Now, you want to do physical improvements on top of that to kind of maximize that rental increase, but technically, you could just buy properties that have high loss of leases and then figure out, identify the reason why the loss of lease is so high and just resolve that issue itself and reap the benefits of that. But overall, you've got to kind of go back to the metric. You've got the market rents, And that is something that is populated by the property management company using their property management rental comp software. So it'll be fairly accurate, but not as accurate as you performing your own rental comp analysis, which we'll go over when we talk about how to underwrite the deals. Next, you're going to see on the rent roll that's in the show notes and on syndicationschool.com is the description metric. Now, this description metric is going to essentially be the different charges to the tenant and what they are. So on this particular rent roll, there are a total of nine different codes on there. And the codes are going to vary drastically. You're never going to see a rent roll that has the exact same number of codes because they're going to be very specific to the business plan, the property management company, the owner. So I'll just go over the codes that are on this rent roll and what they mean and then I'll go over additional code that you will most likely see at some point. And if there's any code that you see on a rent roll that you don't know what it means, you can ask the broker or the management company or the point person, and they should be able to tell that for you. But most of these are pretty self-explanatory. So on this rent roll, you've obviously got rent. So the majority of these units are going to have a rent charge code, and that is going to be the amount of money that that person pays each month in rent. It's pretty simple. And as I mentioned, when you are sorting out the rent roll for the underwriting process, You want to have one row for each unit. And the reason why there's multiple rows right now is because there's multiple charge codes. So you want to sort it out so that the only charge code that is there is the rent. And most of all these other charges that the tenants are paying to you, which is going to be an income, will be on the T12. Because this is just kind of a snapshot of one moment in time, where what's more important for those other incomes is what it has been averaging over the past 12 months. Whereas for the rents, that's gonna also be gonna be important, but you need to know what the current rents are because that's going to be what you are inheriting at the moment. Whereas these charge codes kind of fluctuate, whereas the rents are kind of locked in for twelve months. So you've got rent, obviously. Next you've got month-to-month charges. You sometimes you might see MTM. That means that the person living in that unit is not on a 12-month lease. They're on a month-to-month lease. Typically how most leases are worded is that if they don't resign the lease, and they're not given some sort of notice to vacate, then they automatically go to a month-to-month lease. Or if someone who wants to live there short-term doesn't want to sign a 12-month lease, they might sign a month-to-month lease. But because of the additional risk that the owner has by signing a month-to-month lease, because rather than having a solid income for 12 months, any time that person can give 30 days notice and be gone, it'll be vacant. So you can charge a little bit extra money. So that's what that month-to-month MTM charge is referring to. Next, there's a monthly pet rent, or I might just say pet rent, pet fee. But that's the fee charged to the tenant for having a pet. So sometimes they might have a one-time deposit. Other times there might be a monthly fee paid by that person in order to have an animal in their unit. And it might be different for different types of pets, different size pets. It kind of just really depends on what the owner and property management company agree to, but that is going to be accounted for in that description charge code. Next, you have renter's insurance on there. So if the property owner kind of has an overall renter insurance plan for the entire property, that could be a selling point for people living there, but obviously you're going to want to recoup that money by passing on some or all of that cost to the tenants. So anyone who accepts that renter's insurance will pay pay. A fee for this rent roll it looks like the fee is 15 dollars extra per month next there is the reserved or covered parking charges it might just say parking or park this is referring to units that either come with parking or people that have reserved parking spots that are available to the entire community and the cost associated with that the next code is going to be subsidy rent It might just say subsidy, it might say sub-rent. But that's referring to essentially Section 8 tenants. So there'll be the rent that they're actually paying and then the rent that's subsidized that's coming from somewhere else. So that's what that code is referring to. There also is the concession or move-in special credit. So that's actually going to be typically a negative number. So all of our charges, so there will be positive numbers because money that you are collecting and that they are paying Whereas the negative number, the credits, are things that either you are paying or you are losing. So the three credit description codes that are on this rent roll is the concession or move-in special, which is the concessions that are offered to tenants in order to have them move into the property. So, hey, if you move in, we'll give you a month's worth of rent for free. Or, hey, tenant, if you refer someone, we'll give you 300 bucks off your rent. Things like that. There's also the employee unit rent credits. This might also just say EMP, employee ImpRent, ImpCredit, this is referring to some sort of employee that is employed by you or the private management company who has decided to live on the grounds with a reduced rent. And on this particular one, there is the Loss Gain to Lease charge code, which is most likely is going to be the difference between the market rent and the actual rent. Now, I pulled all those for, if you're looking at the Excel print rule. There's a summary of the total charges and total credits at the bottom of the the rent roll, so this starts in rows 883. But as you kind of scroll through the rent roll, you'll see that there are these different charge codes that are called something something special. So B1R special, A1 special, A2R special. And essentially, this is gonna be a negative number. And this is basically just a concession that was given to that person for living in that renovated unit. So maybe a unit is renovated, and in order to kind of lease that unit quickly, you offer it to people who already live there at a slightly reduced rent. And they want to differentiate between move-in specials and those types of specials, so they made a different charge code for that. Now obviously that's not an exhaustive list of all the different charge and credit codes. A few others that you might come across are admin or maintenance shop or office. That's going to be a unit that's being used for an office, a maintenance shop, administrative purposes. And it's either it'll be a reduced rent or a non-rent. But again, you want to differentiate between that and a vacant unit because the admin unit is always going to be used by the admin of person until you take over the property. At that point, you can decide whether or not you want to convert that unit into a, a live unit or if you want to keep continue to use it as an admin unit. You might also see something called a CONV bill fee, C-O-N-V bill fee, or convenient fee. And that's just referring to any convenient fees that are charged to the resident for things like paying rent with a credit card. So typically, if they're paying rent with a credit card, if you're dealing with thousands and thousands of dollars here, and the credit card companies will charge 3.5%, 5% of that whenever they process that. In order for you to use their payment process, they're going to charge you, the owner, some sort of fee. So obviously, you want your tenants to pay with cash, check, money ordered or deposit. But if they have to pay with credit card, then you don't want to have to pay that fee because you don't have to pay that for any of the other payment methods. So you'll pass it on to your resident. You might see a pest fee, which is a pest control fee that's passed on to a resident. Same with trash. If you have dumpsters, you might charge a fee to tenants for the dumpster, because again, you're being charged for that. And you can pass that cost on to them. You might see utility fees. So if the owner is paying for all the utilities, or only some of the utilities, like the water, they can charge 10 15 $50 fee a month to the residents for that. Valet trash, valet trash, valet. That's units that have a trash receptacle near their unit. Obviously, that is going to be something that they want to pay for because if other units don't have it. It's a premium unit, which will require some sort of charge. Now, those are just a kind of handful of the many, many different trans codes, description codes, charge codes, credit codes, however you want to call them, that you will find on a rent roll. Some of them are going to be self-explanatory and pretty easy to understand, like on this rent roll. Other ones might be abbreviations that you might not understand. So if you have any questions on any of these, the person to contact would be the owner or the point person for this particular deal. So next, we have the amount. So the description is what is the what, and the amount is how much. So the what is going to be rent, the how much is going to be 724 bucks. And then you'll see for all the different units, there's a total. So you'll have the individual charge or credit codes broken out. So, for example, rent, pet rent, and renter's insurance. And there's going to be a total number for all those combined. So that's how much revenue each unit is bringing in per month. Next, you're going to see three different columns for dates. So you're going to have the move-in date, which is the date that the person moved in. You're going to have the lease start date, which is the most recent lease started for example, we've got a resident here who moved in in 2011, but their most recent lease is 2017. Oh, sorry, this is a rent roll from the end of 2018, by the way. So, then you'll also have the lease ending date, so when does the most current lease end. As I mentioned before, if the person has a notice to vacate, then there'll also be a move-out date. Next, you have surety bonds. They're actually zero for all of these units, so I'm not going to go over those. You've got the deposits, so that's how much money that they have as a deposit, so that could be their security deposit, their pet rent deposit, and then lastly, you're going to see a balance. So that is gonna be money that is past due, that is owed by the resident for rent or some other charge. So maybe maybe they didn't pay their full rent that month, maybe they haven't paid just a specific fee, maybe they haven't paid rent for multiple months, whatever that is, or maybe they paid too much money and you owe them money and the balance is, is negative. So that concludes kind of the meat of the rent roll, which are all those different metrics at the top of the rent roll. So based off of all the information that we went over, typically if you have a rent roll that was generated by some sort of property management software, there's going to be summarized data tables. So on this particular rent roll, there are four summarized data tables. First, we have the total charges which is a summary of all of those different charge codes under the description. So month-to-month charges, how many total monthly pent rent, rents insurance, the parking, and the subsidized rent. And all of that is added up to the total amount of money brought in by the property each month. Then you've got the credits. Similarly, these are credits to the resident. So on here we've got the move-in specials and the concessions, total for the month, the employee unit rent credit for the month, and the loss to lease for the month. And then we've got a total. The next summary data table on here is the property occupancy. So it just does a breakdown of the market rents, number of units, and total square footage for the occupied units and for the vacant units. So as you can see, here's a good differentiator. So this right here, this first one, this market rent, where it's got 84.3% and 5.7% for vacant. That is referring to the economic occupancy, in a sense. Not completely, but it's sort of like the economic occupancy. It's saying, all right, so of the occupied unit, how much rent are we collecting? And of the vacant units, how much rent are we using? And as you can see, those percentages are slightly different than the actual physical occupancy, so the actual total number of units. And of course, that's going to be the case, because... If all of the 12 vacant units were one-bedroom units, then the physical occupancy rate is going to be much higher than the economic occupancy rate because, on average, the one-bedrooms are going to be renting for lower than the three-bedroom units or the larger units. So the amount of rent that's being lost is not as high as opposed to if all the 12 units that are vacant were three-bedroom units that were renovated, then the economic occupancy is going to be much lower than the physical occupancy because... You're losing a lot more rent on those units. And then you've got the square footage, total square footage, which isn't something that's super relevant. And then lastly, this last summarized data table, which is going to be the most important for the purpose of underwriting, is going to be the unit type. So it does the same thing as the property occupancy, but it breaks it down by unit type. So you've got A1 occupied in bacon. What's the total market rent for the occupied A1 units? What's the total market rent for the units that are vacant what are the total number of units that are occupied that are a1 and vacant for a2 and does that for each of the a2 unit types the b1 unit types so on and so forth now when we get to the point where we're underwriting deals you'll see that there's a unit type where you input the unit types market rents square footage and then your renovated rents it's going to look the exact same as this unit type occupancy data table will look very similar. It's a little bit more condensed than this because it doesn't break apart occupied and vacant. But basically the goal of the rent roll conversion is to get to the point where you have this summarized data table. For this rent roll, since is Joe's rent roll and Joe's seals, they have the property management company generate this unit type occupancy specifically for that reason. So they can (laughs) compare it to their underwriting, their projections. But other property management companies, other owners might not have this. So you will have to kind of create this yourself. As I mentioned, to do that, you want to sort the rent roll so that each unit has its own row and the only description and amount code that is on there is rent. And then you can run a simple pivot table by unit type and then drag in market rent and the amount to there. And then do some sort of count for the unit type to get the numbers of each. Now, there might be a few other data tables that are on there and they might have a summary of all the deposits or balances by unit type you might have a summary table of all of the different unit statuses it really just depends but the ones that i went over here the property occupancy unit type occupancy and then a summary of those charge and credit codes are what's going to be most common now the last thing i wanted to discuss is about how to locate the data on this rent roll that you need in order to underwrite the deals And I'm not going to go into extreme detail on this because we're going to talk about this again when we talk about underwriting. But overall, there are six different metrics you need to pull from the rent roll that will be inputted into your cash flow calculator. Number one is going to be the different unit types. So for this deal, the A1, A1P, A1R, A1U, etc. So you're going to want to understand how many different unit types there are, what they are. And then for each of those unit types, the second thing you're gonna want is the number of units for each of those unit types. The third thing you're gonna want is the average square footage for those unit types. So the reason I say average is because on this particular rent roll, the A unit type is broken into A1, A2, A3, A4, etc. Whereas other times it might just say A. So in this case, A1 has a square footage of 700 square feet. A2 has a square footage of 800 square feet. Where if the rent roll just had A, then that average would be 750 square feet. So the third thing you want. The fourth thing you want is going to be the average current market rent for each of the unit types. And then you're also going to want to figure out what the current vacancy loss is. So what is the total amount of market rent that is lost due to vacant units? And then lastly, you're going to want to know the loss of the lease. So of the occupied units, how much rent is being lost due to the rents being below market value? So, the six things that you want on this particular rent roll, it's pretty easy to pull all that data because of that unit type occupancy. You can pull all of those except for loss to lease on that data table. To find the loss to the lease, you're going to have to do the sorting exercise that I mentioned in order to figure out what's the total actual rent minus those other charges and credits, and then subtract that from the total market rent of only the occupied units because we're already accounting for the rental losses of the vacant units and that vacant loss. So only for the occupied units, subtract total market of occupied minus actual rent of occupied to get that loss to lease number. And then once you have that data input into your cash flow calculator, you move on to the profit and loss statement, which we'll talk about next week. the last, last thing that I want to talk about are a few other things to keep in mind when you're looking at a rent roll. So one of those is going to be that move in date. So as you'll see on this rent roll, some of these move-in dates are very recent for this rent roll, because this rent roll was from, I believe, the beginning of 2018. So you've got some move-in dates that are end of 2017, some of them are 2016, others are like 2011, or 2010, or in the actual 2000s. So what you want to do is you want to sort by the move-in date, so have the most recent move-in date at the top, and I guess the oldest move-in date at the bottom, and take a look at that loss to lease. and. See if the loss of lease is consistent across time or if the loss of lease on older properties are much higher and the ones on newer units are not. If the loss of lease is pretty consistent over time and it's low, that's fine. If it's pretty consistent over time but it's really high, that's a sign that something's going on because the owner is not raising rent on old units but also not asking for the higher rent on newer units. What you're most likely going to see is a higher loss to lease for some of the older units and ideally a very low to minimal loss of lease for the units that were rented within the past couple of months. So that's kind of give you an idea of how quickly you could potentially burn off that loss of lease after taking over the property, as well as if you have a high loss of lease on those units that were recently leased. Because they were released a month ago and the loss of lease is 10%, you can't really change that person's rent for 11 months. Whereas if the newer units that were rented within the past few months have a low loss of lease and all the loss of lease is because of either month-to-month leases or leases that expire within a few months, then you know that you're going to burn up that loss of lease pretty quickly. Next, you want to look at if they have these types of status codes. Units that are occupied with a notice to vacate because that will let you know, okay, well right now the occupancy is 95%, but 10% of the units have a notice to vacate. So in reality, once I take over this property in two months, the occupancy rate is going to be 15% and not 5%. You also want to know if there's a notice to vacate and it's leased. Because those right there were telling, okay, well, that unit will be vacant, but it will be leased by the time I take over. So kind of the differentiating between that notice to vacate not leased and notice to vacate leased. You also want to take a look at the vacant units and see which ones are straight up vacant and not leased as opposed to vacant, but they are leased. Again, you want to see vacant units that are already leased. And you don't want to see units that are vacant, but not leased because that's concerning. You want to know why those units aren't leased. And the something else we want to take a look at too, again, assuming that they have differentiated these in the unit type, but the different types of renovated units versus the non-renovated units. So if the property has a lot of renovated units and you see that the move-in date is pretty recently or all within a one-year span, and you see that the rents on the renovated units are $150 higher than the rents on the partially renovated units... And the partially renovated unit rents are $100 higher than the non renovated units, then that could help you calculate the rental premiums because they're already proving that, okay, compared to the regular units, if you do these partial upgrades, which cost us three grand, you can raise the rent by 100 bucks. And if you do the full premium upgrade, you can raise the rent by 250 bucks. So, those are kind of just a few things to take a look at, and obviously, a ton of different ways to analyze a rent roll. And Hopefully those four things that I just mentioned can kind of get some ideas churning in your mind for different things to look at and, and how a rent roll can kind of tell you a lot about a property. So that concludes this episode, part two, and this concludes the breaking down of the rent roll. So in this episode, we finished up talking about the different metrics on the rent roll. I went over the different types of summarized data tables to expect. I briefly touched upon what data You need to pull from the rent roll when you're underwriting. Those six different factors the unit type, number of units for each unit type, the square footage for each unit type, the current market rent for each unit type, and then the overall vacancy loss and the overall loss to lease. And then lastly, I want to provide a few different ways to kind of look at the rent roll in order to kind of gain a better understanding of the property and its operations. So, in order to listen to part one, as well as the other syndication school series about the how to's of apartment syndication, And to download this rent roll document that I've been referring to for the past 30-some minutes, visit syndicationschool.com. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you tomorrow on fall on Friday.
0: Stessa is the essential tool for tracking your rental properties, and it's gonna save you a tremendous amount of time during tax season. Stessa organizes all of your rental property financials and automatically creates all the reports you need to file your tax return. And Stessa teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you, best ever listeners, the ultimate rental property tax guide to help you maximize your deductions. Get that copy when you sign up for an account. The account's free. So get the copy by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. That's dot com forward slash best taxes. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at com forward slash show. That's dwe com forward slash show.